start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other host, Susan Fox. And with us are David Hernley. I, I was, I had Hunley, and that's wrong. That's the name of a submarine. Uh, and Rick Aseltine. Uh, David Hernley is the creator of Starship Horizons, a brand new Starship Bridge simulator game that bridges the gap between the single-player space games and the PlayStation VR Star Trek Bridge Simulator game. And Rick Aseltine runs BridgeSimulators.com, and he builds physical bridge simulation game setups for conventions and conferences. Welcome to the show. Oh, great to be here. Thank you. Now that we have had a chance to look at this thing and look at the training video that we... that You sent us the training video, Rick, and uh, it turned out that it was also on YouTube. So uh, we had a chance to... Uh, I had a chance anyway to watch through the thing and and have a look at it and uh wow first of all um uh i david um how did all this begin well uh as many of us you know i'm a uh, sci-fi fan grew up on a, a lot of uh science fiction uh from star trek to battlestar galactica star wars of course um and uh i'm a computer programmer have been my whole life uh, just been a software guy, and I've al- always wanted to do this. I started on this project actually in 1997, if you can believe that, uh, some time ago, and worked on it for about six months, and then just realized the technology, the stuff I was trying to do, just it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So I just stuck it up on the shelf and said, you know what, I'll get back to it some other day, and worked on many of my other, you know, harebrained schemes and world domination plots and things like that. Uh, and uh, about four years ago, I uh, came back to it uh, completely fresh and said, you know what, it's time to dust off the, the box and pull that back out and got started on it in my spare time. Um, Rick and I met about, uh, I think, a little over two years ago now, Rick. Um, and, you know, he's obviously, like you said, uh, taking things to the, the different conventions and whatnot. Um, and really, the simulator has really... Really coming into its own in the last year, uh, you know, as the as the nature of software projects, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the early on it's it's pretty slow going, getting all the nuts and bolts and the foundation put together. But once you get to a certain point, the world building gets to be fun. No, oh, it's it's like uh, any any software project. The first ninety percent of the work takes ninety percent of the time, and the last ten percent of the work takes the other ninety percent of the time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Dave, I'm actually going to shock you. It's been three years now 
the first show we ran, a Starship Horizons with bridge simulators, uh, was Shore Leave 36 in Hunt Valley, Maryland in August of 2014. Oh my goodness. Wow. I've watched Time. videos of uh, Shore Leave uh, recently posted on YouTube. Is that the same one? Or is that, oh yeah, uh, that's a that's a well known con- uh, Star Trek convention, and uh, they love it. They they this is exactly your target audience, isn't it? Oh yeah, it was. We had uh, one family that had signed up on the system weeks in advance for one of the last missions of the day, and a father brought his three daughters and his wife, and uh, they were all ready to go and uh, really got into it. And that is one of the videos that we have up on YouTube. Fantastic. I am reminded very much of uh, Battlestar Galactica and uh, oh, there's so many different shows that this could this could equate to. Uh, your your nomenclature is generic enough and loose enough that it could be it could be applied to anything like that. Yeah. Well, I'll actually uh, – I'll shock you a bit. Uh, it's actually – the entire game engine is designed to be modified. Uh, uh-huh. It's designed to be taken by fans, people mm-hmm. that you know purchase the game, and create their own universes. That you know, is create- – that's something I was going to ask about. Is it – how easy is it to reskin it, add new models, uh, change out sound effects, this sort of thing? Well, uh, I'll, I'll go technical on you for a minute. The, the models are done with uh, the FBX format. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the format we use. And then everything else pretty much, you know, your textures and your images and stuff are going to be PNGs in the various image formats. But the, the world building, the design of the, the planets, the star systems, the ships, the weapons, the missiles, all the stuff that you that populate the worlds, uh, the universe, as it were, mm-hmm. is done with XML uh, definition files. Mm-hmm. So I was I was, know, a, a I was looking. Per- I, I was rooting around in the assets folders, and <laughs> I noticed that uh, uh, your model files don't use an FBX file format. They have this different file extension. Is there a filter or process that has they the models have to go through before before they can be uh, used in the game? Uh, that those are the compressed ones, yeah, and the. The final version of the game, you'll be able to use just straight FBX files with no compression. Um, the version today, we're in early access, by the way, so mm-hmm. the game is available for people to buy, and they can buy a version today. Uh, but we acknowledge that we're not done. You know, we're still building sure. the game and building the world. Um, and so, yeah, the version you would play today has the compressed version of the um, assets for specifically for models. Mm-hmm. Like uh, as I'm sure you saw, everything else is pretty much as I said is in those XML. And HTML formats. Um, and talking about just building out the interfaces, uh, specifically all of the consoles that you use, uh, just from an, a technology standpoint, the game runs uh, today on a Windows PC. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, eventually we are going to be embracing multi-platform, so we'll eventually we'll have Mac OS and, Thank you. and probably Linux. Yeah. Oh, I'm a Mac fan, so trust me, I, I want it too. Um, but uh, we'll have that uh, next year. But the consoles, so the the actual uh, interface that everyone uses to play, you know, your flight officer, your tactical officer, your science officer, it's all done through HTML5. Mm-hmm. So you open up a browser on your laptop, on your tablet, on your phone, whatever, mm-hmm. and you can connect to the the ship's computer, as I like to say, the you know the, the executable that's running the the main view screen, 
mm-hmm. and bring up any station you want, and you can connect as many clients as you need. Uh, we've had uh, one convention last year where we, we had 20 consoles mm. hooked up to the game simultaneously, all touchscreens. That's amazing. Just wrapping the entire room. And there's a video of that on our YouTube channel as well. Yeah, I saw and all I, of those stations were run either by Windows Sticks or Raspberry Pi 3s on the back end. Oh my god. Windows Sticks. I know, I'm not familiar so with those. It's it's uh it's basically like a, the Intel Compute Stick. It's about $100. It's a light version of Windows and uh, you just jam it in the, the ability. It's meant more like a media center. So uh, you, type yeah, you computer, just jam it in the back of your uh, monitor and Fire and, Stick. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, everything tastes better on a stick, doesn't it? <laughs> well, uh, yep. The music is composed by Joel Everett. He's an Emmy-winning composer that came to me and said, I want to help you. This looks so cool. And Ooh. that that music is so amazing. Uh, you know, yeah, we're well, so we were listening to, to that. I was hoping that uh, there was some we could play. It really sets the mood. Yeah. I mean, oh, boy. Uh, music really sets really sets the stage for what's to come. And it's exciting uh, and stuff. You, as you pop into a zone and the music changes and it starts to sound ominous, there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, I, was I wish real life had a soundtrack like that so we could take our cues. Yeah, well, you know, we started our own science fiction radio station, so we got close. <laughs> most most boys give their girlfriends a mixtape. This is what I got. <laughs> of course I married you, you, did, you did pretty well. You did pretty I well. I think so. Yeah. The the so a lot of those displays were actually Raspberry Pi driven. Yes, that's, um, that's awesome, and, and uh, that's been the the big problem with every other one of these um, uh, bridge simulator software systems. And there are a few of them. We we uh, did a survey of them uh, about a year ago uh, when we were looking at the. Uh, Ubisoft a Bridge Crew game for Sony PlayStation 4 and the uh, Oculus Rift or HTC Vive, I guess you pronounce it. And one chair of, of that, by the time you bought all the hardware you need, it's 1300 bucks. And it's 1300 bucks yeah. even now, a year later. It hasn't, the price has not improved very much. And, uh, and what you're doing can be run on a thin client. It doesn't matter what it is as long as you can bring up a web browser. And that's pretty yep. That's pretty awesome. Well, and that was really the design philosophy when we started this is, you know, you know BYOD, bring your own device, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we knew that, I mean, look at, you know, when I started this project four years ago, uh, the prices were pretty easy then. But if you look at the prices of, say, you know, those Windows Compute Sticks or even Raspberry Pis, they've either gone down or, you know, all the accessories and everything that go with it have just – everything has uh, gotten better. You know, for example, you can get you know, the Amazon Fire tablets now for – you know, back then they were 80 90 bucks. Now they're 40, 30 40 50 bucks. Right, yeah. And every one of them has its own display built in and they're touchscreen devices to start with, which makes them perfect. For this kind of application, so uh, forty bucks a screen times six screens plus a uh, you know whatever notebook you happen to have lying around, and you've got a starship. <laughs> yep, that's the <laughs> just, idea. Just a just an amazing idea. I mean, we have done Artemis parties at our house, and uh, 
It was fun, but it's nothing like this. Yeah, it's nowhere near this slick and nowhere near this powerful. Even now in, in the early Axis form, the controls seem to be more robust and, and there's more that you can do with them uh, than you can do in Artemis, certainly. Well, how responsive is this? I mean, it sounds to me like, you know, if you're going all the way up to HTML and then back to everybody else's uh, computers, this is going to take a while for anything to happen. Nope. Nope. It's it's essentially instantaneous. Uh, we use uh, I we actually built a custom uh, web server system. It's a small twenty three k web kernel that I built to house the uh, the architecture for the back and forth between the the the, the web browsers, if you will, mm-hmm. and the server. Uh, and uh, it's milliseconds. I mean, it's you know. The time I hit a button to say raise shield, it's to, it's to a human. It's inst- it's essentially instantaneous, which is uh, which is really pretty great. I mean, that's and, and, and I'll hop in here real quick. Uh, one of the things that we're really excited to do is uh, not only just the convention experience, but we, we're doing parties, we're doing team building experiences for corporations, and we've basically developed ourselves as the premier bridge simulator experience company in the U.S., uh, doing almost 20 conventions a year, coast to coast, and uh, just traveling all over with uh, some of the best equipment out there. And uh, we're always happy to talk with people about their dreams and desires to have a bridge simulator at their event. As somebody who's been taking both Artemis and Horizons and various other bridge simulators out to conventions, and literally I've watched thousands of people play both games, The at the end of the day, the key comparison that I draw is Artemis is a, you know, it was a trail, trailblazer, great game, but it has more of an arcade feel. The size is very small on a map. Mm-hmm. The enemies are very stupid and sit in front of you and just shoot away at you. You don't have planets. You don't have star systems. So in, in that respect, I, I classify it as more of an arcade shooter bridge game, mm-hmm. whereas Horizons is an actual simulator. It's the game that you know belongs to Star Trek, whereas uh, the, the arcade game is more of like a comic book version, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a comic version of the game. So uh, Horizons very much has those. You can scan planets. You can scan asteroids. You can do all of those things. I saw a video of uh, the gentleman who played Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager, and he said Tim to Ross. the science officer playing Artemis, scan that asteroid. And the science officer said, I can't. We don't have that ability, Captain. Well, <laughs> Horizons does. And, yeah. and that's why Horizons really bridges that gap for what many of us sci-fi fans were looking for to have a true simulator to play. Yeah, and I'll I'll actually add to that. You know, one of kind of my design philosophies is, you know, and without question, we are very much influenced by heavily influenced by Star Trek. There's no doubt about that. But if I'm sitting in the captain's chair. In a simulation, or if it was real life, if I happen to be in the future and be in the captain's chair, if I wanted to know something about an object or issue a command in the Star Trek classic style, um, I want to be able to do that in-game so that I don't feel like I've suddenly stepped over the boundary of the game and I'm now, oh, oh, I can't do that. Oh, okay, oh, well. That's one of the big problems that game designers have uh, have to deal with on a continuous basis. 
uh, how good is my simulation? How good does my simulation of the of of the universe have to be so that the players don't hit that suspension of disbelief? I think they call it breaking immersion. Yeah, you know? that's it. Thank you, breaking immersion. Yeah. yeah. D- Dave, I think it would actually be helpful for you to talk about the different stations and your vision behind sleuthing with science and uh, some of those other points you had that we've talked about in the past. Yeah, and you just talked about the game design challenges. I mean, certainly, you know, this is a game at the end of the day, so there's obviously a challenge on on how you balance gameplay versus simulation. Because let's be honest, if this was a 100% you know, futuristic simulation, there'd be hours of boredom, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so you have to balance that ratio. And, and what kind of Rick's talking about is, you know, with each station, we wanted very much each station to not only play an obvious role, your classic tropes, you know, flight, tactical mm-hmm. sciences, communications, engineering, and, of course, your captain. But each what each station does is completely unique to itself. So, you know, flight is obviously, you know, they're, they're steering away and hopefully avoiding plans. And it's at all cost, you know, those pesky planets that come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, tacticals making decisions on the best course of action in a heat of battle. And as Rick said, with sciences, we're trying to go in a direction where the science officer doesn't just click a button and they get information and they're done with their job. They should need to – each station really needs to pay attention to the details and be able to make their own decision about what this game is providing them with that detail. Because if they read between the lines, sometimes they might discover something that leads to another point in the game. Well, that's true. If you're out there looking for, for dilithium or, or, or fuel or hydrogen or unobtainium, if the science station happens to mention that, that there, there's some there, that's, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, that's part of your whatever and, job you're and- doing. In some ways, it goes even deeper than that because uh, one of the new abilities that David added in is a science officer can look at the system map and scan for energy symbols, uh, signals, hmm. uh, coming from other planets in the star system. And that allows you then to say, oh, wait, hey, there's another planet that we should go to. Or the communications officer can have a discussion thread with a enemy ship and a lot of people, their first time playing, they miss these subtle links and hints inside the game to go do these uh, deeper, more involved aspects of the simulation. So it'll definitely be interesting to get more feedback from the at-home game players who are going to have the time to do that in-depth playing, whereas in a convention setting, they have an hour to play and they move on. Yeah. And I have to tell you, just uh, just to add to the game design discussion, uh, one of the reasons we started taking it to conventions is not just to show people what we were working on. We wanted to get it in people's hands and see what worked and what didn't work, right? That's true. Where the game was going in the right direction and where we were failing, frankly. Um, and, and in other cases, it's yielded some really great results. Uh, I'll give you one quick uh, memory. Is We were at a, a convention called MAGFest, a music and gaming festival uh, that's held in January every year. And we had this one group... Uh, that came in together. They came in five or six times. And the very first time they came in, the, they were so into it, the captain saw an enemy vessel and said, Comms, hail that vessel and demand all of their cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then. And we, of course, just fell over laughing hysterically. But at the same time, I was like, you know what? 
they should be able to do that. <laughs> and, so, and so one of the hidden com- uh, commodities in the game that you'll find in containers and in other vessels and, and NPCs is cheese. <laughs> Things like that. You know. <laughs> now, That's it. We're going cheese hunting. Can, can you uh, can you expand the number of elements that you can scan for? The, the, can you define new things that the sensors can detect by editing the XML files? Yes. Uh, you can define uh, – there's something that's – and I'll actually talk about it. Something that's not in the game today, but if you look in the XML, you'll see the foundation for where we're going with this. There's one called Compounds where it actually, you know, scientific compounds, where you can define all the possible combinations that science, uh, the science officer might encounter. And it's XML defined, so we're not hard-coding anything. We want this to expand. And not just for our universe. If you go to, say, you know, a Star Trek universe and somebody mm-hmm. uh, mods the game and creates a Star Trek mod where you have dilithium and trilithium and all the other great stuff there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I say you can mod all of the world-building aspects of the game, I'm being very literal. So you define how a component works inside the game, inside a ship. So how this weapon works or that shield generator works or how this life support system works, um, you know, how that ties into another system in the game, uh, into the, uh, the ship and then the ship itself and how big it is and how much cargo can all – you define all of these aspects through that XML definition. Wow. So, so if, and if that's I... going to be great for the modders because they can make true representations of the ships in their in their favorite sci-fi dramas with the same number of weapons, with the same arcs and Ooh, other information I want to get this that in the hand... you find in a technical manual. I want to get this into the hands of the uh, uh, David Weber fans. Actually, that's already started. Believe it or not. Um, Why am I not surprised? In... In fact, I'll, uh, I'll name drop here. Uh, Brian Haven is one of uh, the, our crew that works with us. He's actually going to be with us at Gen Con. He's uh, one of our biggest supporters. He is on the BU9 committee. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's at HonorCon every year. Okay. Uh, David Weber himself has actually played oh, uh, and, and, and loved it. So... Uh, <laughs> So I'm glad you named up David Weber. He's uh, he's a great guy. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. I, I so so if I went in and uh, uh, I found the file where it defines what kind of scans the sensors can do, and I like fixed the typo where it says vegetables so that it's V E G E instead of V G E I, I won't break it. <laughs> Oh, by the way, uh, uh, side joke with that, and Rick will probably laugh here. Uh, me as the core developer, I'm famous for that. <laughs> what spelling? It's, it's, yes, uh, players have been destorying all enemies. For ah. years. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. The, very, the trials very and tribulations common. of coding at one a.m. You know that that's what happens. Very, very but, common yeah. typo for game developers, by the way, for for yeah. listeners. Uh, destorying is uh, is one. Of, <laughs> Uh, D-story is one of the most common typographical errors in game development. What a grim thought. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to be telling a story, not removing it. Yeah, but literally and figuratively, right? Exactly. But uh, I'll actually tell you about modifying uh, the world. If um, I know you, you kind of uh, poked around in there a little bit. Uh, in the uh, root folder for the game, there's a, just a directory called Worlds. Mm-hmm. And under that, there's one called Horizons. That's our world. So that's our intellectual property in the world we're building and the story we're telling as part of the Starship Horizons game. Uh, if you were to take that folder and copy it and clone it and that's in that Worlds directory and call it, you know, My Cool World, okay, 
when you launch the game, you can select your world instead of Horizons in the dropdown from oh, the launcher. Nice. Okay. And then, and so why you do that is one, you can create, modify everything you want, create your own world, do all the things you want to do, but have five, six, seven different worlds without modifying or uh, doing anything to the Horizons core world, because as obviously the launcher updates, you know, as we mm-hmm. publish updates, fixes, spelling corrections, things like that, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, we'll be overriding and updating this file, so we don't want to overwrite your work. Mm-hmm. So you can create your own worlds folders and go to town. Now, what about uh, what about altering the appearance of the planets? Is it possible to get more sophisticated uh, shaders and mapping for the, the the worlds in the in the game? Doing a little world building, dear. Literally, yeah. literally, the, uh, literally, right, right. So. Uh, graphically, I mean, the game's actually in a pretty decent spot, but I'm going to tell you flat out, graphics are going to be one of the things that when we get towards the end of the project, we're just going to go full bore on revising. One of my biggest things is the planets, mm-hmm. uh, because I want, like, for example, when, right when you start, I mean, Earth looks nice, but I want it to have a cloud layer that's rotating. I want it to have, you know, the uh, the atmospheric distortion you see on the edge of a yeah. lit planet. Yeah. I want... All, all I of want that it to stuff. actually have uh, all the way down to you know, and uh, there's a lot of games that are doing this now, so this is not new territory. But have it where the closer you get to the planet, the definition incre- increases, not decreases. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So it's not just a texture; it's actually a three-dimensional rendering of the terrain. Well, unfortunately, like this is at this point. Uh, I, uh, even five years ago, this was the subject of uh, fairly advanced research, but now it's well-trodden ground. If you'll, yep. part, if you'll pardon the pun, and uh, it's stuff you can look up and incorporate, and it's it's not the technical challenge it used to be. No, not at all, and that's that's exactly right. But we've chosen to. I mean, essentially, this entire engine is of our design, so it's a it's an mm-hmm. engine from scratch that we've built, and our focus, like I said early on, was about the engine itself. We're getting to the point now where the engine is predominantly done, and we're starting to take advantage of that engine. Uh, the game design engine, that is, and start building out the world, adding missions and content and things like that uh, graphically. And we want to continue to add you know, tons of more ships uh, and really fill it out because there's a, already um, NPCs have schedules and they can go about their business and have a level of AI where a merchant ship knows to say, okay, I've got grain on board. Where's the best place I can sell that? And it's going to go about its business trying to make money. And if you watch as you're taking damage, you'll notice that you have crew that dies on the crew list as well. Yep. Wow. Is there a med bay? Actually, that's a great question. Uh, the the sixth station was engineering, which we just recently added. That was, you know, that took a while for us to get to. Mm-hmm. We're going to be adding a medical station. Uh, we consider that a casual play experience. So it's not something you're going to be doing all the time. There's a reason Bones was always on the bridge. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you have people together, especially in the same place, playing, you're going to have f- extra friends over that are interested. They like the idea, but they don't necessarily want to be, you know, really involved heavily all the time for like an hour straight. My but, wife. <laughs> right. My wife. Um, but. Well, and some people that, just that, might imagine okay. themselves as being Dr. McCoy, you know, and standing on yeah. the bridge and. And uh, uh, backseat driving the captain the whole time. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, there's a reason that what Rick just talked about 
is the uh, the crew roster screen actually shows you a list of the crew and their current status and health. Mm-hmm. And it actually each crew member on board your vessel, that's obviously all these crew that are working on your ship, um, they have heart rates, they have sleep schedules, so they have on-duty, off-duty, and sleep cycle. Um, they have anxiety. And like if you stay at red alert too long, they um, their efficiency will start to drop because they've you know obviously been awake too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as the t- situation is tense, you'll see their heart rates go up. Uh, if they're injured, wow. and in some cases severely, their heart rates will really go up because they're really freaking out. Uh-huh. Um, and then, of course, some crew will die. And the more crew that die on the ship, your your ability to do things like repair and other things internally that would require physical human beings in, in the simulation is going to decrease over time. That's awesome. Do you that track? Is- do you track how many in what department? Because if you lose all your engineers, you can't fix anything. Yeah, and actually, each crew member has an assignment. Like they're actually deck officers. So, like if you look on the comms console, there's actually a list of each deck and the current the currently on duty officer for that deck. Okay. Um, and. and- It'll all eventually tie into your uh, player registration system and how bad a commander or how good a commander you are over time will be tracked. <laughs> right. That's well, I, it, what Rick's talking about is we're going to be uh, enhancing the website, the community. So and we mm-hmm. have a forum there today. Everybody's got forums. Mm-hmm. But you'll be able to create a fleet. And with that fleet, you can have friends that have their own ships. You can name your ship. Uh, and you'll be able to actually track your service record. On board your ship, and there will be like a little little uh, 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 progress bar, you know, red shirt burn rate. That's an achievement. I'm gonna go. I'm wearing a red shirt right now. I'm gonna go change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, zero days since last red shirt death. Yeah, exactly. So can you? Okay, uh, so you can have up to six players currently. On one bridge. On yes. one bridge, and how do you how do you connect multiple ships together to play uh, in the today, same actually, play in the same actually, galaxy? Right, right. Uh, today missions support uh, multi bridge, mm-hmm. so you can have uh, and some missions are cooperative. Some are uh, where you're playing against each other. Mm-hmm. And so you know, if my objective is to take the garrison, yours is to defend it, etc. Right. Um, and multi-bridge is something we're going to continue to expand. Uh, you know, the gameplay experience now is really focused around missions, mm-hmm. and each mission has different lengths and, complex- and complexities. Um, but we're going to have uh, – and this is something we're going to be doing towards the end of development. So this will be kind of, you know, along with the graphical upgrades, some of the, one of the last big obstacles we're going to take on is a campaign mode. Uh, the campaign mode is going to be about 100 hours worth of gameplay. And the goal there is, you know, treat it almost like a, you know, Dungeons and Dragons in space where you invite your friends over every Friday. Somebody brings the pizza, somebody brings the chips. You play through, you know, six, seven hours of the campaign Mm -hmm. and, uh, you hang it up at the end of the night and come back next week and keep on going. Is Um, there, is there, uh, is there a possibility of having a, um, uh, a continuous, um, persistent universe? Indeed there is. Uh, the game server actually can be run in a persistent manner where, and, and this is outside of mission, like mission mode is meant to be one off, right? So you mm-hmm. just do one mission at a time. But when we open up the, um, the universe mode where it's the campaign and or just kind of, you know, open world where you just go and do as you please, uh, you'll be able to run the server contiguously so that people, your, your friends that you've given access to can log in with their own ships as they please. And the best, the best example of that is kind of the classic, um, Starlancer, 
and Freelancer. Mm-hmm. Freelancer in particular, where you could run a, a server uh, and just let it run. And if your buddies logged in and then did some, you know, uh, commerce back and forth between a couple of merchant stations, you know, that was up to them. You didn't have to be there. That works. Uh, when is it, do you have a timeline for uh, a universe mode? The universe mode will be a first quarter of next year. First quarter. We're pretty of close year. on it. Yeah, we're fir- we're pretty close on it now. But we've got some other objectives we're trying to complete before the end of the calendar year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so the uh, universe mode or you know, the open world mode, which mm-hmm. is you know more common term, will be uh, first quarter. I, I imagine. Um, there are a few screens yet that you have not yet completely worked out. Um, I noticed in I noticed in the panel selections uh, there was there were two panels marked frigate A and frigate B. Tell me about what those are. So that's a perfect example of how with HTML you can kind of mix and match as you please. Uh, those are intended. You know, traditionally there were four stations, and this is before we added engineering. Uh, and when I say stations, I'm excluding the captain because mm-hmm. it's important to note that in our design, the captain, while we have a little you know iPhone kind of style. Um, display for the captain to use. We really don't want the captain with any kind of access to controls. We want the captain to rely on their crew. Right. That, which, yes. <laughs> never let them push the button. Yeah, yeah, right. Never let them push the button. So with that in mind, so we had the four stations and um, we had a, a, a need, and this actually came with working with Rick at a convention where it was a smaller convention. You typically weren't going to have four and five people able to play together. So what if you could have two people, Right. So the idea was Frigate A and Frigate B is combining flight and communications and tactical and sciences. So you're condensing four stations down into two. Mm -hmm. Okay. With all the same capabilities, it's just on one screen instead of it being two screens. So it's just easier for a a player to manage, especially at a convention where the player might not know the game and might not know the universe, and they're learning. You want to help them out. So Mm -hmm. um, what that allows... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'll hop in here. The con- the concept was to have a two person uh, heavy fighter, if you will, so that you know we could sit two people down without a heavy amount of training, but they could still go through an invasion mode style game. And this is one of the areas where we really enjoy over at the BridgeSimulators.com team working with David because David has done more than any of the other game developers to accommodate the needs and demands of the convention running uh convention runner community for bridge simulator games um, at this point there are conventions coast to coast and uh we cover conventions from Florida to Michigan to Boston and in between and every convention has unique needs and demands and uh, unique uh uh celebrities that are coming in and David will even go so far as to help us out so we can throw some Easter eggs in for the various celebrities who come and play games with us at the shows. What so when, of- when you get uh, Tim Russ, you do a Voyager thing. Yeah, uh, something, yeah something like that would be arranged, yes. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. That's, and and that's beyond awesome. that, Dave's created a wonderful registration system so that as players come through, 
rather than us having a line of a hundred people waiting to play the game, uh, they just pop their email and their name in, pick a time that they want to play, and then they come back five minutes before that time. We put them through a training procedure. They get to play. What that's allowed us to do is streamline the gaming process at conventions. Uh, the conventions love it because they know, okay, yes, actual humans are playing the game, and it, it works out for David because he – uh, has developed quite a list of uh, fans that have seen the game out in the convention world. And you've reinvented well, the fast pass. Yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it. Well, and it's also you know we go to a lot of the same con- like conventions like having us back once, especially uh, you know once we kind of built up a, a following at various conventions like Magfest. We've been there for five years now, um, and so you get a lot of people that the fans that come back. Some fans will come to the convention for you. And we, we, that's really something that's, you know, well, a great honor for us. Yeah, that's that's right. that, when they, that doesn't hurt your feelings yeah. any. No, no. But to Rick's point about why we built a lot of these kind of tools for conventions is when they come back, they're already in the system. Mm, they yeah. just punch their email. They, it already remembers them as like, hey, welcome back. They pick their times and they're good to go. Um, and, and we, you know, it's funny you mentioned FastPass. One of my kind of analogies for dealing with conventions and Rick and I share the same passion is we want it to feel like an amusement experience. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you check in, you go through training, you, uh, then you, you get down at your station and then you're immersed in this world. And so you've kind of gone through the Disney style theme park experience beginning to end is what mm-hmm. we really try to do. Now, there are worse, worse uh, models to emulate. So what kind of Easter eggs have you put in for celebrities that you can remember? <laughs> oh, it, it ranges all over the place from just various ship names that are, you know, referencing them or their friends or, or, or celebrities they know. Or uh, we've included models on some occasions uh, of various ships, you know, uh, whether it's a Star Trek ship or some other science fiction trope. Um, we've had lines to the comms officer. Yeah, exactly right. So. Well, yeah, it, could, it could be dialogue that's thrown in. It could be a physical model in the world. Uh, we've had Borg cubes before, uh, things like that. Um, so it, it's honestly all over the place. We've come up with some really clever ideas from time to time. Although I, I will tell you this. Every time we seem to add a ship in the game that has a name of either themselves or you know, one of their friends, that ship always seems to get destroyed. I don't know what happens. It's always the case. <laughs> Oh, poor baby. It has a red that's, icon. <laughs> that's funny. That's that's great. So what language is uh, Starship Horizons written in? I, I assume it's C Sharp. It is. Yeah, that was... Um, usually when you are bound to a specific platform, there's a reason. And uh, C Sharp is one of the most common ones. Um, that makes Linux probably your next easiest target. Actually, it's uh, going to be a combination of Linux and uh, Mac OS. When, once we do the – we're transitioning over from the core we've got now. We're transitioning it to, to Monogame. Mm-hmm. And that gives us the flexibility to go multi-platform beyond even Linux and Mac OS, which I don't, I won't really talk about today. But we've got some other uh, plans in the works for next year uh, to really go beyond Windows. Because we were, you know, the way the consoles are designed is to really be hardware agnostic. You know, we don't care mm-hmm. if it's Android or uh, Apple or whatever. As long as it runs a browser, bring it to the table. Let's have some fun. And we want to take the same philosophy with the quote-unquote ship's computer, you know, the, the game executable that runs, mm-hmm. uh, we, we want to give the 
and the same flexibility. Great. I I, um, I imagine you'll also be increasing the base resolutions that are available uh, for the uh, for the the core unit as well. Because currently the maximum resolution is what twelve eighty by ten twenty four something like that. You know. In a windowed mode, if you go full screen, it actually it goes full screen for the device. Oh, it uh, the takes device. whatever whatever the device has. Okay, great. Wow. Yes, okay. native. Well, in fact, um, to give you an example of how that that expands is uh, the you heard me mention the deluxe bridge earlier. The mm-hmm. deluxe bridge was three projection screens and a twenty foot panoramic span. Yeah, I saw the video of that. That was that mag- was impressive. Watching yeah. watching the 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 Starship Horizons pull out of space dock, that was impressive. I mean, you know, all ahead one quarter and the majesty of that. Oh boy! You were oh, yeah. there, and baby. For any uh, convention hosts out there, uh, bridge simulators will replicate that experience at your convention for a modest fee. But uh, yeah, and that actually that all that equipment you saw came from BridgeSimulators.com. So Rick's setup is what you saw on display, which is great. Uh, and I've had this question a few times. I just want to point out that the only difference between that that deluxe bridge video and say playing at home is the hardware. It's, uh, the same software runs both experiences. It's really up to the players how in depth they want to go with this. From a you know uh, immersion standpoint on the hardware side, it's one of the more remarkable things I've seen. Seeing a bridge simulator that big and that complex, with that much information support, and I was sort of uh, thumbing through the various control screens. Um, you know, before the sh- before we, the uh, show, you get, you sent me a uh, uh, a license key for it so that I could do that. Thank you very much, David. And um, the level of detail on these screens is just amazing. Just amazing how much information there is available on this starship as you're flying it. And uh, just, just wow. It's so, it is so immersive. Are, do you, do you have players who, um, who get so into it that they start sweating and, and, and freaking out when things go sideways? Yeah, uh, all the time, and it, you know the the experience ranges. I, I think it's fair to say, and and Rick, you can either confirm or deny this, but one of the things that I'm the most proud of is that everyone that plays has a great time. You know, it, it, even you, you have your non science fiction people that'll play, and you know, it may not be something they're going to run home and want to buy, but they had a good time playing. And I'll, I'll tell you, one of my favorite stories of all time it was at a convention uh, at a, a called Rothcon, and. I had a group of kids, you know, 10, 11, 12 age, that were playing, but we were one short. And their mother was with them. And the kids said, come on, mom, play, play, play. And and none of them wanted to play captain. They all wanted to have the touchscreens and, you know, really go to town. You know, they're kids. They want to have that fun. And the mom just didn't want anything to do with it. She's like, no, I'm going to wait outside. Just don't bother me. I don't want to do it. And they finally coaxed her. And we even said, it's like, ma'am, sit down in the captain's chair. I promise you, you'll have a good time. If you don't, it's on us. You know, we apologize, et cetera. So sit down. Trust me, you're going to have a blast. And so reluctantly, she kind of just sat down, even rolled her eyes to an extent. And was just like, fine, whatever. Sits down. They go through the briefing. We go out of space dock. And it's an hour experience at most cons. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it varies from con to con. But most of the time, it's an hour. Five minutes after they started... 
the woman was in I, I called I called it mom mode. All right, sciences, what do we have? And was completely uh-huh. engulfed. <laughs> yes. And, and locked in and was one of the coolest captains I've ever seen. We literally were kind of huddled around watching, grinning like Cheshire cats at how awesome and they rocked that hour because she went full you know, she Captain went Jane full Janeway. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, I was gonna she say went full Janeway. Yeah. I like to describe it. I tell people, Kirk it up. <laughs> you know, the hammier you are, the better your crew is going to be because the crews that fail tend to be the ones where the captain's not communicating with the crew. I had a sort of inverse experience to, to Dave. I was at a library event in uh, Utica, New York that we go to every year and and the there was a little girl and then uh, four adults with her and the father uh, had put her on communications she was 6 8 years old somewhere in that mm-hmm. range and you know they kind of just pushed her off to the side and sidelined her thinking communications wasn't an important station and it was just going terribly and after about 10 minutes she mutinies fires the captain assigns him to communication and takes over the ship and runs it like a boss <laughs> But he's right. The the ones that have the most fun are the ones that really just get into it and have a great you know and, and get into the spirit of the idea. Um, I'll, I'll tell you one more real quick. That's uh, probably the the most frightened I've been at a crew playing the game in terms of their reaction. Like, oh, they're going to hate it. They're going to think it's stupid. Was a uh, you know I'm down and by the way I'm in Virginia. I'm down in the Hampton Roads area down. By the uh, Chesapeake Bay, where we have every branch of the military. You know, this is where they build the aircraft carriers and everything. So the military is pretty heavy here. And we had a sub crew that was in port, and they came to the convention, and they came to play. So these are active military, uh, you know, uh, Navy that <laughs> had just gotten off a sub to come play. And I'm like literally going, oh, they're going to think this is just stupid. And they went full command mode, proper military communication style, uh, you know, uh Command, command order, command accept, and uh, reply. You know everything you would expect to see in like a, a movie, with how this would work. And they won every mission, and they were into. It. And the whole time they were they were quiet and locked in. They weren't even being. They weren't kirking it up. They were on point. <laughs> and when they were done, they'd been quiet and really hardcore the whole time. And they were done. I'm like, I don't know if they liked it or not. And they got up and they just started screaming with laughter and high fiving, and how amazing it was. <laughs> and you know, and I was just like, oh, thank God. But uh, <laughs> well, wow. well, they're very, the next closest thing to, to the real thing, aren't they? Yeah, well, it's, it brings out the inner kid in all of us, and that's kind of my goal. And you know, and I appreciate some of your kind words. And I'll tell you, I, I very much am absolutely going for that deep science and deep uh, deep experience where there's a lot to do, a lot of buttons to push. Not all of them good. If you hit the wrong red button, you know things could go wrong. But uh, we want people to not. Do everything you can do in the game in top five minutes. There needs to be a, a learning curve. Like we recognize when we go to cons, if you've never played this before, even after you've sat through the training video, your first five minutes are going to be a little bit of, you know, you're lost in the woods, right? You're trying to learn the interface, learn the game. Mm-hmm. And we know that. That's why we give people that hour. They can play that first mission, you know, uh, win and lose it a few things and figure it out. But I'll tell you, after that five, ten minute threshold, they've got it. You know, you kind of figure out your station and at least your role in the world, right? Your role in the, in the game. And then, then they start using that screen and going into all those details. 
and digging into all the little nooks and crannies, trying to find all the little secrets and hidden gems. And that's what I love to see. But that that's me too. I want I'm building a game I want to play. And that's what makes the best games. It really does. I, it's it's if you don't if you don't find the joy in it yourself, you'll never be able to create it. The secret it ingredient is love as ever. Yeah. Indeed. Oh, Rick can tell you when we built that deluxe bridge uh, for um, too many games was the con we were at, uh, and we had it up and running. I was I was near tears. Um, you because had, not had just, you ever seen? not just because it was my baby. I was standing in a full blown simulator that wrapped around me in every possible way, and I felt like that kid watching Rafa Khan. Was that the first time you had ever been in a fully immersive version of your own game? In in that scale, yes, yeah. That's awesome. that was yeah. That was the first time we'd done it to that, that, that level. Was ex- that was an exciting weekend to have that many screens, the fifty inch televisions, mm-hmm. the touch screens, the wraparound main bridge, the lights, everything. Oh yeah, you know what? I'm wrong. I, I say twenty consoles. It was actually uh, it was twenty consoles, but it was all it was uh, twenty five screens in all, if you include the. Uh, projection in the 50 inch screens rick's talking about so it's even more than 20 right yeah um and i'll tell you uh, while we've never gotten this far with it uh one of my design goals is to allow one uh ship to be able to support 130 screens yeah that's a lot of detail well it's the nerd in me i want to allow anyone if they have the money and the well, wherewithal and the desire mm-hmm. to build uh, that, that number comes from the Enterprise D, by the way. Uh, I readily I was admit that. About that. If, if you take every possible L cars display that's on that particular bridge, even like the turbo lift L cars and the and the side lights for the alert status and all the engineering in the back and every every little panel that's on that bridge, it's about 130. It's a lot. That's um, more than I expected. Yeah. We'd love one of these days to see Horizons played on one of the replica bridges out there. Uh, we just we think it would be an absolutely fascinating experience, and we know uh, we've got a few LBE location-based entertainment experiences that are looking at doing it from uh, escape rooms in Michigan mm-hmm. and Massachusetts to uh, gentlemen's attic down in Virginia. <laughs> uh, some beautiful projects people have been doing, but uh, we're also working with the Museum of Science Fiction down in Washington D.C., which is being mm-hmm. built, and they are looking at doing a shuttlecraft style uh, museum exhibit where you will actually get into a shuttlecraft and play a Horizons mission inside that shuttlecraft. Uh, and that's going to be really cool. Mm. I, I, I predict a few backyard projects, too. Well, that's already started. As Rick mentioned, we've got a gentleman here in Virginia who's taken uh, – he has a workshop, and the top area used to be storage. He converted it completely into an actual full-blown Hollywood-style bridge. Wow. Well, I know somebody and, very close to me at this moment who's always wanted a shuttlecraft in the backyard that worked. <laughs> hey, I'm raising my hand here. You can't see it on radio, but I'm doing it. And, and f- future plans that we're pushing David towards are include things like laser tag and away team missions Ooh. where uh, you'll be able to get away team kits through the website or build them yourself. 
and you can do the search for the Holy Grail or uh, do the Battle of Hoth or one of those and destroy the shield generators with laser tag guns and inside the simulation that'll uh, destroy the shields on the ship and uh, I'm obviously very excited for that because a lot of the conventions want to see that higher level of immersion and experience oh. uh, being able to be delivered to their attendees. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I can. Uh, it it sounds like it would be a great deal. It would require a great deal of hands-on for the uh, game administrators to pull that off. But uh, but once it did, it shouldn't. Yeah, actually, if if we do it right, it shouldn't at all. We actually are. There's if you've seen it, there's already a game master screen that will continue to to grow. But just to add, just so everybody understands, just to add to what Rick's talking about, that's something that's you know in the future, and Rick would like it done tomorrow. But it's something we're absolutely heading towards is that laser tag integration. But for example, today we already integrate with uh, X10, which is a, an older you know control protocol from you know the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. but and and DMX uh, as well. DMX we, we fully support, and that's still very common for lighting. Um, and we natively support it for alert lighting, uh, general illumination, and uh, effect lighting. And people can add to their heart's content, you know, all sorts of different patterns uh, for the DMX uh, protocols that are built into the game. But we're going to continue to expand uh, our hardware support. We're going to be adding uh, uh, Philips Hue. Mm-hmm. We're going to be adding Z-Wave. Uh, we're going to be adding the laser tag. Uh, what... Uh, and the name of the engine underneath is called the Hydra engine. No relation to Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the Hydra engine specifically because of all of its interconnections with different technologies. You know, be it you know web delivery or web sockets or uh, X10 or DMX or all these other things. We're going to continue to evolve the the application. The server is really the hub for all these different technologies, and the game can use them in any different fashion. And that's what we're going for. Well, Dave, you hit it on me. There were voice commands somewhere in there, right? Oh, yeah, actually, and it already supports today. That, thank you for mentioning that. Um, it supports voice command and vo- voice recognition and voice speech to t- uh, text speech today. How does that work? I mean, I, I saw the in the uh, basic config file, uh, config XML, that it says uh, um, voice output true, voice input false currently. <laughs> Because at conventions, thinking, it just, like, the blunt answer is at conventions, it just doesn't work. It's right. too noisy. Yeah, yeah. That's the simple answer. But with modern, uh, you know, especially at home, uh, you know, if you wanted to take, say, like a um, – it, it's still harder to do even in a room environment, like with a room-based mic, you know, omnidirectional. But if you had the captain with, say, a, a Bluetooth microphone that is uh, meant, you know, for uh, – similar to how a cell phone would operate with uh, uh, audio, uh, those tend to work pretty darn well. Even in a noisy room with the simulator going. So, what kinds of things can you do by voice? Uh, you can do, you know, raise shields, lower shields, set alert condition red, um, set a course for object name. Uh, some of the basic commands you can handle. Hmm. Uh, and a lot of that was re- the, the truth is a lot of that was me having fun with my with my own simulator by myself, trying to emulate having other officers on board. That just deepens the immersion. Uh, there are going to be a lot of people who will want to use that because, you know, not everybody has half a dozen of their closest friends handy, you know, when they want to play this thing or they might not live in a an area where a lot of people can can reach them physically to to be present to play the game. So 
uh, having a virtual bridge crew kind of takes the edge off that problem. That's, that was a very clever idea. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, it, it needs more uh, fleshed out to it, but you can absolutely do everything I was just talking about. We want to go further with it, so you almost have like an AI interaction with those different stations. Uh, right now, the voice commands work, but there's no real like feedback other than the game itself. But we'd like to see that even further. Um, and there will actually be the fighters, too. You know, a single-person yep. fighter can tie into a team of, uh, let's say, I, I'm alone tomorrow night, and David's got a crew of six over. Uh, I can connect in on a fighter-class ship and be, do- uh, be a fighter within the belly of Dave's horizons. Um, that sounded strange, but, you know, basically <laughs> that. <laughs> I mean, if you think the Battlestar Galactica model where you have a bridge crew playing the Galactica, for example, and again, we're not, we don't own anything universal relative to Battlestar Galactica, but if, if you use that kind of idea where the bridge crew was playing as the Galactica and you had friends logged, you know, connected in remotely as fighters, uh, you can play in the same, same mission, same universe, uh, and imagine the bridge crew launching another friend as a fighter out of their own ship. Yeah, well, uh, and depending on whether or not they were actually in their ship, I mean, it would be dependent on uh, how how favored that crewman was. You know, yeah. like sending somebody out in the ship or sending them out the airlock in their underwear. <laughs> Do you know what an underwear shortage we have on this ship? <laughs> That's why you never send a crewman out in his underwear. Take the underwear off him first. Then inject him out of the airlock. The other place that's eventually going to go is video hails and audio communication between ships. All right. And and with with game quality animated proxies, you know, or video, for example, for the the visuals, uh, perhaps at the player's option. Yeah, but just, yeah, like imagine though, um, if you had multi-bridge, right? So two bridges of, of human players and they were going against each other where you could do a video hail Star Trek style and actually see the other bridge crew and the captain and interact in the classic style. Oh, yes. There is a, there's going to be an opportunity for, for, um, customers to uh, get in on this action. Yeah, underpants are optional, so. <laughs> Yikes. Captain, not in my universe Captain, or not. Captain Underpants. <laughs> Captain Underpants. <laughs> yeah. Tra la la. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can't take you anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Event Horizon here on Krypton Radio with our guests David Hernley of Starship Horizons and Rick Aseltine of BridgeSimulators.com. It has been a great pleasure having you on the show, and uh, now that I've heard about all the cool stuff it can do, I want to go back and play play some more with the game. Uh, thank you well, so much for, for joining us. Thank you, and we're going to just do a couple shameless plugs here real quick. Absolutely. Please do. Uh, please do. Uh, anybody who wants to pop on the StarshipHorizons.com website can see a list of the upcoming events uh, in the near future. We are going to be at the Comic-Con in Palm Springs, California, Escape Velocity in Washington, D.C., Grand Rapids Comic-Con in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Boston South Coast Comic-Con in Hanover, Massachusetts, 
and Holiday Matsuri in Orlando, Florida. So pretty much uh, any corner of the country, you're going to be able to come pay us a visit and see the game in action, play it on touchscreens. Yeah, and uh, the big one is next weekend, Gen Con. We'll be running four bridges there as well. Oh, wow. Now, if you want to get your own copy, it's this is the pre-release copy, so it's like it's in release, but not quite. <laughs> it, it's 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 early access. It's we, early, we early uh, access, so it's yeah, yeah. it's. We're uh, not calling it beta. <laughs> it's not exactly no. it's not no. exactly beta, but at the same time, you may encounter hiccups. But uh, once you buy your license, you get. The, you get continuous updates because the game checks for updates every time you start it. And Correct. that's a mere $60 and you pay it once because you don't have to pay a per station fee or a, a, a per screen seat charge the way you do with almost every other, every other one of these bridge simulator games. It's just one price. I rarely do a direct product endorsement myself, but boy, if you don't go out and get this thing, you're missing out. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. I'm your other host and co-pilot, Susan Fox. And you're listening to the Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. Thank you for joining us. You have been listening to episode 179 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for August 19th, 2017. Our guests today have been David Hernley, creator of the new immersive multiplayer bridge simulator game Starship Horizons, and Rick Aseltine of BridgeSimulators.com, who goes around the country doing the physical builds and installations for conventions and other events and venues. Your hosts have been Gene Turnbow and Susan Fox. This episode will air again at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow afternoon, that's Sunday, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is listener-supported geek culture radio, and the vast majority of our funding comes from avid listeners just like you. If you liked this evening's program and enjoy listening to the station, please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio. That's patreon.com slash kryptonradio, and contribute whatever you can. For less than a grande cup of anything from Starbucks, you can make an enormous difference. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2017 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>